All right. If you take your Bibles together and be turning with me this morning to the book of Titus in chapter number 2. Titus chapter number 2. And you ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. And you know what? We can know that. That's for sure. And that kind of goes along with what I'm going to be sharing with you this morning. I'm going to read from Titus chapter 2, and I will read verse 11 and verse 12. Verse 11 and verse number 12. And as we prepare to lead, let's bow together. Father, we praise you and thank you for your precious word. We thank you for all the wonderful things that we can learn from it. We thank you for how you help us that have trusted in you as we live our life. And sometimes we don't know the right direction and we don't know the right thoughts to have. But Lord, we thank you that you lead us in your word and you teach us from your word. And we know you're going to do that this morning. And so we put it in your hands. Ask you to speak to our hearts in whatever way you see fit to bring glory and honor to you is our prayer in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. Verse 11 and 12 says this, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, that we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. Now, I've been preaching from this passage of Scripture, from this little text, 11 through verse 14. I don't remember how long, but I remember that I had probably done a couple of messages from this. The theme being what's found in verse 14 that says, Christ gave Himself for us to redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself. To purify unto Himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. And so I've stressed that point in that passage of Scripture. The reason I remember that I've been uh, addressing the text since before Christmas is because I had uh, titled the message before Christmas, Why Jesus Died. Why did He die? Well, He died for us. I'd even preached a message on who are the us. You might remember that. And so... On Christmas, I wanted to stay in the text, and I brought a message entitled, Why Jesus Came, just so it would fit, Why Jesus Came. So you might say, Preacher, I've heard about enough from that. Well, that's all right. If you've heard about enough from it, it's okay. But I I tell you, the Lord has blessed me as I've thought about this passage of Scripture. You see, this is what it's all about. I mean, from beginning to end. It's all about that. Because in the end, the Bible teaches us that Christ is going to have a people that are His. His own possession. That's what peculiar means. His own possession that are His. And of course I've been sharing with you that all through the process, He's constantly working in us. Constantly. That's what grace is. Grace is more than 
unmerited favor and God's riches bestowed upon our life. And it is those things, but it is an active working force that He puts in us. And I've read this definition that my son uh, Tim shared with me several times, and I think it's just awesome. And it said, Grace is not simply kindly feelings on the part of God, but a positive power conferred on man. Grace is a real and active force, a power that worketh in us, illuminating the intellect, warming the heart, and strengthening the will. So grace makes all the difference in the world. I was talking to a fellow this past week, and he was sharing that early on in his Christian walk, he neglected some things in his life, and he was sorry that he did. And I was sharing with him that I had too. And then in time, God's grace made us aware of it and corrected that, helped us to correct that in our life. So from this passage of Scripture, I've been sharing some marks. How can you tell who these people are? Is there a way? Is there a way from this context to tell? And I've shared with you already that they are teachable. The Bible says grace teaching us. That they are teachable. Is everybody teachable? No, everybody's not teachable. There are some that are. And there's a reason why they are as defined in this passage of Scripture. Teaching us. Now, last Sunday morning, I backed it up to the verses that prior to this passage of Scripture because it says here, uh, for the grace of God or because the grace of God has come. Why does God give us instruction in His Word? It is because grace is working and we learn from it and we desire to learn from it and desire to please Him. So this morning, I'm going to go in the other direction here, and I'm going to share with you another mark of these people that are His. A mark of these people. And that is that they bear fruit. In other words, you may remember that I shared with you that passage of Scripture that is in Acts chapter 11. I don't remember exactly what the verse was right now, but they sent Barnabas down to Antioch, to see what was going on with the Lord's work. And the Bible says, when he saw the grace of God, he was glad. And you may ask you the question, can you really see grace in the mat? And the fact is, you can't see grace, but you can see the impact of it. You can see the result of it in your own life and in the lives of others. So grace is that active, active force. And so, Today, we're going to look at the fact that they are fruitful. And uh, I thought this was interesting where I am preaching from on Sunday night and this coming uh, service this evening. Uh, the text will be uh, being fruitful in every good work by Jesus Christ to the praise and glory of God. Uh, can we be that? We sure can, and the Bible says that. And so that's interesting that it come out that way. In this passage of Scripture this morning, we have the evidence, the evidence of grace. I heard somebody talking uh, before services uh, this morning about certain information that he was uh, uh, privy to and uh, talking about that he was careful not to believe things that he couldn't know for sure that they were true. 
And of course, we all experience that. We hear a lot of things uh, if we watch the news and we watch different things like that or listen to different things. We don't know if it's right or not because just to be honest with you, there's a whole lot of lying goes on. Just a whole lot of lying, pure and simple. And so, evidence. Evidence is something that proves something is true. So this morning, the subject is going to be the evidence of God's grace that is working. Do we have it in the text? We certainly do. It is the evidence of the Lord's will and identity of His people. And here's what it says uh, in verse uh, uh, 12. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. That's the mark. That's the mark. It, they are fruitful, the Bible is telling us. So we, we want to look at some of these things as they're mentioned here in the passage of Scripture. And the first thing I want to do is take this backward, and you'll understand why that I'm doing that as we go along here in a moment. He says here that is teaching us that grace may be witnessed. Grace may be witnessed by the life that is lived. Live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. And I want to tell you this morning, that is a description of God's true people in whose lives they, He is working. Soberly. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean this morning in the Bible that they're not drunk. Somebody say, well, I'm, so, I'm sober today. Well, that's not what it means. And of course, Wednesday night, uh, we looked at this word because uh, the question has been, what are the marks of the true church? And we were looking at its officers and the description, uh, uh, the uh, qualifications of pastor and deacon, uh, that word is used in there, that they be sober. And so it means to be temperate and discreet and rational in the things that they do. And I found a verse of Scripture that I thought uh, described that pretty well. In the book of Romans, and in the 12th chapter, the 12th chapter of Romans, and in verse number 3, and this word's going to be found here in verse 3. He says, For I say through the grace given unto me, isn't that neat the way he says that? How does he say that? By the grace given unto him, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but, and I underline that little word but at some point in my Bible, but to think soberly. So you might say, well is that a description of what thinking soberly is? Well it sure is. Because it contrasts thinking soberly as God has dealt to every man a measure of faith. It's in contrast with we thinking more highly of ourselves than we are. We have to be careful about that, don't we? We tend to do that. That is a part of our nature. And so it describes that pretty well. The other word here is righteously. And that means justly or conformable to justice, honesty. And so righteously. And uh, as I said a while ago, I'll share more about that in the evening service. And uh, the Bible pretty well describes that. And then the third word that we find here is to live godly. And that is to live a holy life. One that is reverent to God. Reverence for God will cause you to be a holy living. 
And so those three things are mentioned there, and that's a good description. And down through the years, in noting people's lives that were an inspiration to me as I go along, that has been the case. Even as a youngster growing up, I could recognize people who lived soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. And I'm going to tell you they had an impact on my life. As I know you, many of you could say the same thing. You may have had fathers and mothers and grandparents or teachers or pastors or, or people like that who inspired you because you could witness something. And what you were doing was looking at grace. You were looking at the evidence of grace. How do I know that grace is working in the lives of someone else? I can know that by the evidence that is there. And so he describes it in those three words. Soberly, righteously, and godly. And where is the sphere of this? It is in this present world. Oh, there's going to come a day when things that are of this present world is not going to be anymore. It really won't be anymore. And you know, we, we live our life as if that's some far away thing and some vague something uh, we don't give a lot of thought to that kind of thing and if I get far enough I'll share with you this morning that this worldly lust is what keeps us from that we have to be careful about about that and so we in this present world one day uh, I will be here the last day and so will you we are all going to be here in this present world uh, the last day, the last breath, the last beat of our heart, and and uh, we'll it will pass if we go by death, or if Jesus returns, we may go uh, just pass on without dying. That'd be good, wouldn't it? Amen. But we're all. This is the sphere of our operation. This is the time period when we live the way we want to live for His honor and for His glory. I think that there's an interesting thing. Uh, here, this is evidence. This is the evidence. Grace always produces God's purpose. You know how I know that? I think one of the most awesome verses in all the Bible, speaking of grace and how it operates, is 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10. And here's what Paul said. You know what it is. You know it as well as I do. He said, I am what I am by the grace of God. Was Paul, I, I was reading some emails. I had a stack of emails that I had saved. I'd gotten them uh, for years and years and, and, and I, I should, shouldn't have been saving them because they wasn't any benefit to me if I wasn't going to look at them. But there's things that was interesting at the time. And I was telling Sue yesterday about, about some of them. And I found one that was sent to me by one of my boys. And he was saying, Dad, I appreciate you saying I'm proud of you. I did say that. I guess I did. He said I did. It's been a long time. But he said, I appreciate that. And he went on to send me a long email to say, in essence... If there's any good in me, it's because of examples I've had set before me and God working in my life. Now, you see why I kept that. That was pretty awesome. I kept that uh, text or email that he had sent me related to that. And so, uh, grace, 
listen, Paul said, listen to this, I am what I am by the grace of God. If there's anything good in me and anything good in you, that's where it is. And you know something else he said? You know why I think that grace always produces God's will? You know what else he said in that verse? He said, and grace was not bestowed upon me in vain. My friend, you'd be foolish to even think that God would bestow His grace on someone that was not going to accomplish His purpose. God doesn't operate like that. God does not operate like that. It's not in vain. It's not in vain. You might say, well, I wish God gave me more grace. Well, you might need to back up and think, well, what would I do with it if I had it? You see what I'm saying? It might not be that you would uh, desire to uh, accomplish His will in your personal life. And so, He gives grace to accomplish His purpose. And He said, it was not bestowed upon me in vain. And He went on to say, uh, and I was the least of the apostles, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Listen to this. Yet not I, but grace that worketh in me. It's God's grace. He gets the praise. He gets the glory. And when we pray for each other, we ought to say, Oh God, give them more grace. Give them more grace. Because it's going to accomplish something good and wonderful. I found this passage of Scripture. It's in verse uh, Deuteronomy. And it's in the 30th chapter. One little single verse. And boy, what an awesome verse it is. And what it says. And I'm going to read it. You listen to this. And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed. What for? Listen. To love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul. What causes that? That verse tells us what causes that. It is caused because of the work that God does in the heart. He gives a new heart. He gives a new heart. And then of course in Hebrews, when God was talking about the, new, the covenant and that He would make with His people, it says this, My laws, he'll put, my, he'll put His laws in their heart and write them in their heart and they shall be to me a people. Who did that? You say, oh, preacher, it's because I read the Bible, you know, and I, I, I see that, and that's what... And I want to tell you something. Is a world of difference between reading Scripture and God putting it in your heart and in your mind. There's a world of difference in that. And I want to tell you something. A person can sit and read the Bible from now on and die and spend eternity in hell. If God's grace is not working... It's not done. It is not done. And the reason I preach that is because I believe that. And that I want to give Him the praise and the glory and the honor for that. Now in order for these things that I've shared with you, soberly, righteously, and godly, in order for that to happen, and this is the reason I reverse these in this verse of Scripture, because I think they make a point very clear. In order for that to be the case, there has to be these negatives that are done away with, are taken care of. You say, well, what's the negatives? Those are the positives 
that we live soberly and righteously and godly in this world. But what are the negatives? We read them in the verse. Denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. Denying ungodliness. Now I can share with you some special uh, points uh, related to that. It's pretty exciting. Denying ungodliness, simply ungodliness, is the opposite of godly. It is the lack of reverence for God and the things of God. Ungodliness. He says here, and here's where the interesting part is. Denying ungodliness. Now here's why I know this is an act of God's grace in the lives of the individual. Because in the original language, here is the action of this verb. It's continuous. If you interpreted this as saying, having denied ungodliness, you'd be exactly right. In other words, that's got to be done first. It has to be a reality first. Denying ungodliness. Or having denied. Or having renounced ungodliness. Continuous action. And continuing to do so. Once this action starts, it doesn't stop. Once it starts genuinely and rightly, it doesn't stop. One definition I found relating to this denying was to refuse and to reject and to stand against it. I want to tell you, the, I think the greatest need, one of the greatest needs, I can't say the greatest need, but one of the greatest needs in the United States of America this very day is for people who claim to be God's people to stand against ungodliness. You know what I've witnessed in my little short lifetime? <laughs> it's not short. I'll be 72 years old my birthday. God's been good to me. But I want to tell you what I've witnessed. I've witnessed from the time I was a youngster. Now you talk about the ungodliness in the world, in our culture today. I've witnessed things that were understood by people to be ungodly come to the point to where they're trying to shove it down my throat. We've reached a point to where I'm called a homophobe because I preach the Bible what God said. And we live in a day when God's people need to take a stand on what the Word of God says and what God says about things that are ungodly in our world today. And I tell you what, this just really gets me. For somebody to claim to be a Christian and go to the polls and vote for somebody that is in favor of something that is ungodly. It needs to stop. Or I'm afraid in America we're going to pay a dear price for that. And there's enough people in America that claim to be Christians if they stood up for what they knew was right, I mean really stood up for it, it would turn things around. There'd be a great awakening, amen? A great awakening in our country. And so, denying ungodliness, there's got to be action that is involved in that. And oh, I plead with you, please understand that, the meaning of it. Then he says, and worldly lusts. Something that I firmly believe this morning 
is one of the greatest dangers for the Christian in modern day America. We are so blessed. We are so blessed. Julie and I have had a couple of conversations about places that I've been in this world and where she's from. Most people don't have any idea how good we've got it in America. Julie agreed with me. She sure did. She understands that. She, knew, she knows what it is like in the country where she's from. She's found out what it's like in, the, in America today. Most people are spoiled rotten. I mean, we can have just about anything that we could imagine. And you know what? We can have it instantly. <laughs> we don't even have to wait very long in a drive through to get a hamburger. We're spoiled in America. And you know something? The reason I say it's one of the greatest dangers for the child of God is that we don't even stop to think about whether or not I'm guilty of this or, or whether I'm not guilty. Worldly lusts. Those things that we want, desire. Now you say, preacher, can you define what worldly lust is? Well, I believe I can. John wrote about it. Uh, he wrote about it in the little book of 1 John. Pretty good definition. Here's what he said. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Now I want to tell you something that this is not. It is not those things that God has created. It is not our world around us. It is not the sun and the moon and the stars and the mountains and the forests and the valleys and all of those things. Isn't God's creation a good thing, a beautiful thing. It's not those things. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about this created world. He's talking about something else. And here's how John defined it. He said, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If a man love the world, the love of God is not in him. My if a man loved the world. When I read that, I, I, I think, man, I really need to know what that means. And he says, for all that is in the world, and here it is, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life are not of the Father, but of the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. And he goes on to say this, And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Is that an awesome passage of Scripture or not? So, the world, as it's used in this sense, and it's used in a, 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 about seven or eight different ways. I remember in times past teaching on that. I believe it was a Wednesday night study, all the different meanings of the word world. And if you really want to think about a meaning of the word world, think about the most popular verse of Scripture in this world today, 
For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. What's world in that verse of Scripture? I know what world is in that verse of Scripture. I've given it some thought. And so, world is interpreted a lot of different ways. And so it's not any of these things that God has created. Because I want to remind you, those things God has created, He said in Genesis 1.31, that it was very good. I want to take God's Word for that. I want to be thankful for the things that God has created that I love and enjoy so much. Because they are very good. You say, well, what is it then if it's not that? It is the ways of the world. It is the customs of our world. It is the opinions of our world. It is the practices of our world. It is the aims of our world that are not godly. That's exactly what it is. It's everything that is not godly. That's what the meaning of the word world is. And as I said a while ago, Try, that which is they're trying to push down your throat. They're shoving it. They're shoving it. I think about, I don't know if you follow it or not, what happened in the state of Virginia. It wasn't supposed to happen that way. But a bunch of parents woke up. You say, woke up to what? They woke up to what their children were being taught. They didn't know it before. It's sneaking in. Sneaking in. And so, they, they're pushing it and pushing it. It is all those things. Let me, let me give you a little description of what that is. It is, now I want you to think about this. It's to think more of the earth than heaven. Now let that sink in. To think more of the earth than heaven. To think more of time than eternity. To think more of the body than the soul. To think more of pleasing others than pleasing God. Now what do you think about that? I think that's an accurate description of that. And you know what I want to do? I really want to make an impression on you this morning related to that subject. I want to, don't turn to these. If you, want, if you want these verses of Scripture, I'll give them to you after the service. These are verses of Scripture about the world. And I want you to listen real carefully to them as I read them. I think there's 21 passages. I'm just going to read them to you. Here's what the Bible says. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. The Bible says this, We have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God. Note the contrast in that. They differ. Christ gave Himself for our sin that He might deliver us from this present evil world. In times past you walk according to the course of this world. Paul said, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. James said this, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction 
and to keep thyself unspotted from the world. The Bible says this also in James. Know ye not that the friendship of this world is enmity with God or hostility against God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And the word passage I read a while ago is love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. If a man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The Bible also says this. John wrote these words. The world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Did you know the Christian? The world don't understand you. They never will. They never will. The Bible says this. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. The Bible says this in John. Whosoever is born of God overcometh the world. Now what I'm preaching to you this morning is the evidence of grace. Did you hear what that verse said? Whosoever is born of God overcometh the world. There's no conditions placed on that. It just happens. It happens because it is God that worketh in you both the will and the do of His good pleasure. The Bible says this, We know that we are of God and the whole world lieth in wickedness. The Bible says this in the book of Matthew, The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the Word and it become unfruitful. The Bible says this in the book of John, You are, you are of this world, ye are, of, ye are of this world, I am not of this world. That's Jesus speaking. In John also it says this, The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth Him not, neither knoweth Him. They can't. They can't help it. They cannot receive it. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. In his fallen state, he can't do it. It's impossible. And so, it says that. And it also says this in John, If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And it says, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. The Bible says this in the book of John also, in the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And John also it says, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Talking about His own people. And so in all of these, I think I read 21 verses to you. What if we just sat down and we thought about that? We took the real definition of the word world and what it means not to uh, 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 denying worldly lust. What if we knew that uh, for sure? And we can. And the Bible tells us that we can do that. And so I want to share with you this morning that one of the marks of His people is that they bear fruit. They bear fruit. And as I shared with you a moment ago in the message tonight, being fruitful in righteousness, which is by Jesus Christ, being filled, I got that wrong, being filled with righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the praise and the glory of God. I don't know about you this morning, but I think it's pretty awesome 
what God does, and I'm not going to complain one little bit about His power working in people's lives. I've just had the marvelous privilege of experiencing it myself and witnessing it so mightily down through the years. And I thank God for His grace. And it brings glory and honor to Him. Father, we praise You. And we thank You this morning that You have blessed us with this truth that this is what happens when the grace of God that appeareth unto all men that bringeth salvation teaches us. Lord, we confess this morning as Your people, we don't know how to do that correctly. We need You to teach us. And we know You do. And we praise You and thank You for that. So help us, dear God, to be humble before Thee and to seek Thy leadership and guidance and to not think more highly of ourselves, but think soberly. We desire that. We desire it for You, for Your glory. And You work it in our life for Yourself. You come to uh, redeem Your people and to purify unto You. That's the work You're doing in the world today. Thank You, dear God, I say personally, for witnessing that in my own life and in the lives of others. I pray You bless this closing number this morning. If there is commitments that need to be made, we'd be delighted to see that happen to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now would you stand with me as Ricky leads us in a closing number.